Are you sick of the fatigue and fog? Fed up with unpredictable flares? Hangry from the super restrictive diets? Hello, and welcome to Success with Sjogren's, a podcast empowering naturally minded and scientifically grounded women looking to reduce or even eliminate their Sjogren's symptoms. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Kara Wada, a fellow Sjogren Spoonie, triple board certified allergy, immunology, and lifestyle medicine physician, coach, medical educator, and mom. As a reminder, although I am a physician, I'm not your physician, and this podcast is for educational purposes only. Well, welcome, and thank you so much for joining this episode of the Success with Sjogren's podcast. I am super excited um, to be welcoming um, Dr. Martina Ziegenbein. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but she is a board-certified practicing rheumatologist and an expert in fibromyalgia, which so many of us with Sjogren's also have. Um, And I'm really excited to talk with her today to learn more about fibromyalgia, but also some really cool and innovative ways that she is helping patients um, deal with chronic pain. So Martina, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello there. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here on your podcast. Congratulations on getting it started. So yes, my name is Martina Ziegenbein. I'm a board-certified rheumatologist. I practice currently in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I only moved here uh, nine months ago uh, in March 2021, uh, and I have been working here since April. And I um, recently transitioned. I see bread and butter rheumatology. We call it bread and butter, meaning general rheumatology patients, but I have recently embraced my love for fibromyalgia and I started seeing more fibromyalgia patients in my practice so um, that's in a nutshell I have been a rheumatologist since 2007 uh, and I have been um, uh, in the United States since 2001. Um, And could you share I know a lot of uh, the listeners who are listening to the podcast maybe already see a rheumatologist but what are some you know, conditions that fall into that bread and butter that you see on a day-to-day basis in the clinic? Yes, good question. So um, I see a lot of patients with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, psoriatic arthritis, gout, osteoarthritis, uh, polymyalgia rheumatica. I don't have a lot of sugar in patients, admittedly. I just actually saw one today, earlier this morning. Um, and uh, pseudogout, gout, pseudogout, that would be bread and butter. And of course, as I said, I am trying to build up my practice as a rheumatologist with fibromyalgia. So I'm seeing more and more fibromyalgia patients. Yes. And can you explain a little bit to us about fibromyalgia? I know as I was starting, I graduated medical school in 2010. I have to get the, the dates all right. Um, but even as late as then, I think there still has been this, like, is it, is it a diagnosis? Is it, you know, is it real? What is it? Um, kind of this, um, this question and, um, kind of gray area around it. So I thank you. Yeah. I love the question because, uh, it just underlies that there is still a lot of confusion about it. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, fibromyalgia is, um, in a nutshell, um, 
clinical syndrome when patients hurt in multiple places in their body and it cannot be explained by other findings or diagnosis. So as you know, patients with rheumatoid arthritis also hurt in multiple areas, but they have evidence of objective inflammation. They have swollen, tender, hot joints. Uh, and they're just one comparison. I'm just picking one diagnosis to compare it to fibromyalgia. Patients with fibromyalgia hurt all over. It's above and below waist on both sides of the body. And they don't have additional explanation for the pain. They don't have any visible ex- uh, inflammation, any joint deformities as a reason for pain. And I should mention many times, um, often, fibromyalgia comes with a host of other problems or mm-hmm. uh, symptoms, which includes uh, difficulty sleeping or not feeling refreshed in the morning, then resulting fatigue. Many patients, I would say almost 90% of my patients with fibromyalgia report brain fog, which is mm-hmm. a weird situation when they cannot quite put a finger on it, but they feel like their head is in a fog. They cannot focus. They cannot perform well. It's a very debilitating symptom when it happens. But to continue the other symptoms, they can have um, TMJ symptoms, irritable bowel. Many patients experience bladder problems or vaginal pain, all as part of um fibromyalgia, basically all of that kind of falls in that category. It can be very frustrating and demoralizing, so to speak. I think that's what has been so profound for me when I see patients in the clinic and the office as well as, um, and having dealt with some of those symptoms personally too, the, the quality of life, you know, that suffers and the trouble, you know, you can have going through those just regular activities of trying to make dinner, take care of the kids and get through work, all of those sorts of things. Um, what? Um, Sorry, I um, uh, didn't realize that I have actually fibromyalgia back pain and it has been quite, I'm kind of now jumping to another topic. How oh, it's like, I, it has been, it has been um, very enlightening and very uh, encouraging for me to experience improvement from methods I'm teaching my patients and my clients. So uh, it's, um, yeah, I I was just going to say that I'm sorry that you are also a sufferer, but at the same time, I'm hopeful for you because there is a lot of hope (laughs) for us. Uh, That's why I was so excited to connect and hear. So um, Dr. Martina and I met through... um, kind of through serendipity, um, both involved in some leadership um, and um, in position empowerment um, activities. And I was so excited to hear kind of her journey in hearing and learning um, and bringing these treatment options to, to my attention and to the attention of a lot of patients. And so I would love if you could share kind of with us um, what that is, kind of how it works, um, walk us through. Yes, of course. I'll I'll try to um, kind of keep it simple uh, because that's how I try to explain it to my patients. But basically, just to compare it to like traditional rheumatologists or the traditional training is that we we examine the patient, we ask them questions, we become suspicious about symptoms when they tell us they hurt all over, and there is not enough on exam to be suspicious about inflammatory process. So we suspect fibromyalgia we do sometimes run the test but 
then the way we have we have been explaining it to patients is that it's central sensitization syndrome when the uh, brain is has volume on pain on like uh, on high volume. Mm-hmm. Basically, the there is increased pain sensitivity, and that's correct. But we have not been really given as rheumatologists super effective ways to manage it. And the new way I discovered, starting discovering over this past summer is that um, brain is responsible for production. So it's not just that it increases the volume of pain, but it also can generate the pain. And uh, the mechanism behind it is that it's on high alert. When the brain is on high alert, it can produce pain. And I give an example of, and so it's basically a body, mind-body syndrome. An example of a short-acting body-mind syndrome is when I, I blush as a response to embarrassment or mostly embarrassment or when, when attention is given on me, my face turns red. I'm, you know, and that's everybody accepts that this is a physiologic reaction. It's not a disease and it goes away when the emotion of embarrassment goes away. Well, in the same way, the mind-body syndrome can be chronic, meaning the brain can be producing physiologic symptoms, that, but they last longer. And in order to turn them off, we have to turn off the mechanism that causes brain to go on high alert. And what causes that is several things, but the current leading theory is that it's either unprocessed emotions or repressed emotions. So anything that happened to us in our chi- since our childhood that have not been processed properly, and it just accumulates, accumulates, and at some point it reaches the point when the brain... Um, cannot deal with it effectively, goes on high alert and produces pain. And so the pain reprocessing therapy that I have been working with patients primarily includes mechanisms to how to, to teach patients how to soothe the brain. Mm-hmm. And I, if I may just share something very yes, please. Uh, brief. Uh, so I had a patient, the, the patient with Sugar syndrome who came today and we discussed her dryness, but she was mostly concerned about her head pain that started uh, literally um, like two or three months before this appointment. It was completely new and it was like vice almost mm-hmm. sensation around her head. It would be there every day. And they ch- checked her blood pressure and blood pressure medication maybe helped a little bit. Basically it was there every day and it would vary. It would go up and down, but it was there uh, every day. She had some blood work done. Uh, nothing was found. and. Um, when I started talking to her, I realized there was something off in the sense that she did come across as a very um, perfectionistic person. She puts a lot of pressure on herself to perform at home, to have her house clean. Um, she, when she doesn't perform well, she feels bad about it. So she, I don't want to say beats herself up, but basically she's a perfectionistic. She puts a lot of pressure on herself. Mm-hmm. And it has been shown that people who, with certain personal characteristics like perfectionism or putting a lot of pressure on themselves, they can have higher risk of developing these chronic symptoms. So I just offered to her, I didn't talk to her about fibromyalgia before because she doesn't have a formal diagnosis of fibromyalgia, but I recognize um, just um, the brain being on high alert or, or stress, mm-hmm. chronic stress. And she agreed. So we did a somatic tracking in the office and it was so beautiful because within minutes, 
So I started to, I, the somatic tracking means that people take a few deep breaths, they ground themselves, they close their eyes, and I ask them to recognize their pain or basically tell me about their sensations they have and just sitting with them. And then as we uh, describe, as she describes the pain, I have the patient um, then talk to her brain, telling the brain that this is okay. And it may sound silly as we talk about it, but uh, basically the point was that she was sitting with the sensation pain and telling the brain she is not afraid of it. She was kind of redefining the relationship with the pain and she started crying. It was, it was tears of hope. She was overwhelmed with the feeling and she was happy that there was hope for her and this, the, all of her symptoms. So she had symptoms of pulsating eyes and pressure in her head and all of them went away. So I was able to show her that with just a few minutes of deep breathing and just getting in touch with the sensations and sitting with them without fear was able to change the landscape, so to speak, of how her brain was processing the pain. So that's just the most recent example and kind of summarizes is the example of what I do with my clients. I explain to them, what neuroplastic pain is or this body-mind syndrome. I confirm the diagnosis first, um, then I talk to them about it. And then we tried, we are trying techniques that are meant to soothe the brain. So somatic tracking is one of them. Then we do also talk about self-compassion, which you might've experienced as part of the same group that uh, we were in the coaching um, group. And uh, then it just keeping at it. And um, there are a couple of, uh, things I meant I mentioned to them as help. I can mention it later. Or I can mention it now. Uh, one of them is a curable app, C U R A B L E. It's an um, app used by thousands of providers, and I, I I'm not sure whether I was allowed to say that here <laughs> at your podcast, but it's uh, basically I, I, my patients use my patients use it uh, on their own then at home. It's very interactive, and it helps them promote this. Uh, pain reprocessing therapy and the other is the book by Dr. Alan Gordon that actually led me to this when I started reading it this past summer five months ago now it's called way out yeah. so that's in a nutshell <laughs> no and I uh, I that book I, I just finished reading it within the last probably few weeks and I couldn't put it down after I saw um, <laughs> you had mentioned it in your podcast so um, once you're done listening to this episode, you need to also go and find um, <laughs> Dr. Martinez podcast, which will have all that information linked, but it's um, an incredible resource really. And you break down kind of talking about and defining kind of, okay, what is this neuroplastic pain and how does it work and really put things into a way that's very understandable. Um, and because I think, you know, as, as you've mentioned, and I've, you know, I talk with my patients about too, their patients will come to us many times, um, having been told that these symptoms are in their head. So when we tell them that they actually quite literally are maybe coming from their head, that that takes some nuance in discussing it and, and getting quiet. Yeah. Because uh, for so long that had been, you know, this 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 scapegoat, um, and it and it turns out that actually some of it might be, but not for the reasons that people were brushing you off. <laughs> right, and I appreciate you actually bring up that point because it is relevant. The nuance you mentioned, and what we tell them, what I tell my patients is that the pain is not in your head; it's in your brain. 
and it still takes there. So most of the, the pushback I get from my patients is uh, when they don't believe that's a good enough explanation. So, uh, and some patients, you know, they will never accept it. But most of the time when I start talking to patients who have been struggling with pain for a long time and they, uh, um, Sometimes they have been given diagnosis of hypermonia, sometimes have not. It's really just chronic pain that starts it off. Most of them are very uh, receptive of this information because it gives them hope that they can change it. And that's what I wanted to mm -hmm. point out here is that um, any type of body-mind symptom is, I don't want to say good to have because it, like, ideally you don't have anything, but it's good to know that it could be body-mind because you then have power to change it. Mm -hmm. You have power to improve it. I'm a proof of it myself and um, it really works as opposed to when you have gout, for example, and you have a you know, swollen, raging gout, uh, like uh, swollen toe or swollen wrist or hand. You have to take medications. You have to make it better because it doesn't usually go away on its own. Uh, with body and um, measures you can use on your own to make yourself better. And that is so empowering. And as I said, most of my um, female patients respond extremely well in terms of uh, accepting the information. It's not an overnight process, it takes time, but it's very empowering. And I didn't want to, I will just mention so that male patients don't get, or uh, <laughs> men don't get upset. I have only, three patients right now with fibromyalgia that are males and one of them is completely accepting of it as the body mind syndrome and is working really hard to improve it the other two are a little reluctant but i think they just need more time uh because for some reason in men's world it's they don't consider it uh, like sufficient like it's considered to be weak when you have a body mind syndrome and i'm working on figuring out how to explain to them that it's not that it's so I'm working on that <laughs> I think one of the things that really sold me on it or kind of helped me to understand it and reading kind of the way out and listening you know your explanations of it too is that we have science too to show the before and after so kind of with maybe speaking to like the the functional MRIs or like imaging. yes yes Thank you for leading me into it. So um, the Alan Gordon in his book, um, he mentions, so one of is like his uh, case study, the first patient that he had, or the most famous one, he had a young teenager who had severe abdominal pain. And this was still at the beginnings when the pain reprocessing therapy was not as famous, so to speak, uh, but he was already doing, Alan Gordon is a psychologist, a director of the Pain Psychology Center in LA. And he, um, he took uh, this, under, this um, young teenager under his wing, so to speak, and he met with him, I think they said twice a week for eight weeks, and then once a week for a few more weeks, they did a functional MRI at, before onset of pain reprocessing therapy, and then at the, at the finish, so like three months apart. And it was really, truly remarkable, the changes that were seen on a functional MRI of his brain. So for clarification, functional MRI is MRI that only shows activity of the brain. It doesn't necessarily show exact structures or anatomy problems. It just shows activity, electromagnetic activity. 
And in his case, there was there were profound changes in amygdala and uh, changes in appearance of the prefrontal cortex, uh, kind of supporting the idea that brain pain centers are truly responsible for the landscape of the of chronic pain experience. And one more thing I was going to say is that the pain is real. The pain is Absolutely. always real. And I always say that to the patients so that even if I say that, yes, the pain is coming from the brain, but it's a real pain. Like there is no, there is no imaginary pain and real pain. There is just a real pain. And I try to drive that point home every day or every time I talk to them because I had one patient react when as I was excited talking about what uh, neuroplastic pain is. And she's like, well, do you mean my pain is not real? I'm like, no, 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 it is. So it's important to mention that to patients early on so that they understand the pain is real and we know that now so yeah just where it originates from is different than we thought yeah so the science is behind it and then um i don't know whether we have time uh, i let you decide i was um i was gonna mention um ellen gordon and howard schubiner and dr um I forgot his name now, I apologize. So I think it's, uh, I apologize. Another uh, scientist at uh, Colorado University, they did a study with 150 patients. They um, randomized them to three groups. One was placebo, so no treatment. The second was um, standard treatment, which was some psychotherapy. And I think just education about pain. And the third was the pain reprocessing therapy. These were all patients with chronic back pain mm -hmm. and they did um, the study the study of interest or the group of interest where they did the pain reprocessing therapy that was 50 patients and on all of the participants they did uh, functional MRIs before and then 12 weeks so after 12 weeks of the study and uh, they had phenomenal success rates in those 50 patients who underwent PRT pain reprocessing therapy I think 66%, so two thirds had a substantial reduction of pain and about 30% complete resolution. So none, no other chronic pain, uh, chronic back pain study showed such uh, phenomenal results. And there were profound changes in their functional MRIs, again, confirming that the brain changed, hence the pain change. Uh, and the principle was, People were taught how to bring down the high alert of their nervous system down to calm down the brain. So, um, yeah. I think what I find to be so just absolutely exciting being here in Ohio, and I have a lot of patients who come from kind of rural Appalachian Ohio areas that have been tremendously affected by the opioid crisis. Um, and, um, so much of that driven by, you know, trying people seeking treatment for chronic pain. And so hearing that there are other modalities out there that are incredibly safe, um, you know, and that are things that are tools that you can learn, you know, to, to do over time, you know, with with um practitioners and then on your own at home you know kind of almost like physical i think of it like physical therapy for our brain you know kind of brain yes. therapy. yes um 
like how, how incredible to have, you know, have this and I feel like just need let everyone know. <laughs> no, and I have to tell you, Kara, I absolutely love you said it because this is, this is kind of a natural conclusion of our discussion, but also this is how I feel. And I feel the same way about it that everybody with chronic pain should know because there are 70 million of people with chronic pain in the United States and, and most of them don't have to be. And yeah. this is, as you said, incredibly effective and also incredibly cheap. Like once you make the initial investment, either the, you buy a book you, or the curable or you work with a coach like you and I, but if eventually this stays with you for the rest of your life, no medications. And I'm not saying that there, you know, I'm not saying that there is no role for medication. Some people may have additional need for treatments. Like I have fibromyalgia and RA, so I'm still getting treatment for my RA. And I still want to exercise if I'm doing physical therapy and so on. But I'll, you know, the chronic pain as a big group that governs most of chronic pain patients is really up to being corrected by these very effective and self-efficient self treatments that are because mm -hmm. people can do it by themselves. So I, I share your enthusiasm and I do think it's the future of chronic pain treatment personally. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, um, it, it's hard to contain my excitement. So I don't always like exude it, but it was one of those as I was reading it, just really realizing the, the power and the potential and thinking, how can we just get this information out to folks and kind of share um, share the science and the, the information and hopefully just build on, you know, what's already been um, been started. Um, I appreciate that. And we are on the same wavelength, we, you know, spreading it to patients and people with chronic pain. And I share your excitement, as I said. Yeah, so. I think what has struck me and kind of um, really um, in particular with within the Sjogren's community is I stumbled upon some of the support groups online, um, which, you know, that that community and support is so important. But there was so much hopelessness and despair and um, just... Mm. Um, in those groups. And so to find um, avenues to share with our community that provide hope and encouragement and that you can, um, whatever success looks like in your, in your, you know, in your mind that we can work towards achieving that um, is, you know, that's kind of the mission and of this work that I'm trying to do is that, you know, May have to read it really to some degree, but <laughs> but I really appreciate that you're doing that for your patients and clients with Sjogren's. And I, if I may just mention something, you know, mm -hmm. that I just realized as you were talking about, so Sjogren's is an autoimmune inflammatory disease, but it's mm -hmm. important to mention, in my opinion, as I just demonstrated, you know, told you earlier about the patient I saw earlier, she has Sjogren's that is confirmed by my exam and ophthalmology exam. She has positive NN. Um, SSA antibodies, but she also carries this extra, you know, group of symptoms that are not related to Sjogren's, but they could be blamed on Sjogren's by somebody who doesn't have expertise. So it's important to have a coach or rheumatologist or physician like you, provider like you, who can tell them, no, this, this, this probably is not Sjogren's and it could be mind-body syndrome because it responds to the treatment that I did with her. And there is no shame in that. Like there is no, people can have an autoimmune inflammatory problem and they can have additional symptoms that are not part of the 
initial autoimmune diagnosis. And I think it's important for people mm -hmm. to know that so that they can distinguish. Um, like this, she came with a head pain and um, I think she was worried initially that this was from her sugar glands. Yeah. And I was able to explain to her through, I mean, I did a review of systems, I did an exam. It went away. So she was able to show for herself that this was her nervous system on high alert. So it's important to, to know and note. So mindfulness, like when are we doing things to ourselves, so to speak, and not to beat ourselves up about it, but when are we doing things that are causing our symptoms um, because we are stressing ourselves unconsciously, basically yeah. uh, putting our nervous system on high alert. Yeah. Yeah. And there is, there's so much overlap. And I think, you know, we, we see kind of on a daily basis too, in patients that come in with, I, I call them misbehaving immune systems, but there does tend to be this, um, you know, a lot of people who are helpers who, you know, put others before themselves. And so um, being able to learn some of those skills and techniques um, to use along with modern medicine, you know, ways to decrease the stress, you know, turn down the pain amplification, um, you know, provide your body with good nourishment, you know, so that it can do those different processes to repair um, and to, you know, as we're learning more about microbiome, all these things can work together. Um, so I think, you know, coming from that idea of how can we use and as opposed to or. I love, I love your approach. And it's, I don't want to say identical to mine because you probably know more about uh, autoimmune amplification than I do, but I, I tell, talk to patients almost about the same things. Basically, it's not just, you know, the, the medications, but let's talk about our nutrition, how we spend our time, how do we, are we kind to ourselves? Like all of these things play a role in how we, and I love your term misbehaving immune system. I may be, I may choose, I may use that with my oh, patients please. in the future. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of encompasses, as I kind of explained, like allergies and autoimmune. If you look from the airplane view, it's our body responding to things that it should not be making a response to. Um, and obviously we are, you know, we, you and I on um, offline can get into the nitty gritty of like how that happens and how that differs between autoimmune and allergy, but um, because, it, you know, it definitely gets complicated very quickly, but at its surface, you know, it is, it's not doing what it was supposed to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love the explanation. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you if they want to think about working with you or want to check out your podcast? Um, what is a good way for them to connect? Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to uh, present uh, market myself. It's, oh my gosh, uh, absolutely. So, <laughs> it's uh, my podcast is called Winning at Fibromyalgia. And actually my website, I was just recently able to figure out how to link the same name, www.winningatfibromyalgia.com. Oh, so when they, when they punch that in, they will come to my website and I am building it with more resources. Uh, but they, that's how they can contact me. They can either schedule a consultation or write me an email, which is now working. My assistant has been able to figure out. Awesome. So that's a celebration. In a, I know. <laughs> but they I don't teach us these things in medical school. No, no, they should. 
They should. It was very stressful for a few long days. But I appreciate the opportunity, Kara, seriously. And I uh, wish you the best uh, with your podcast and your business. And I am so grateful that you're raising the awareness about children, about um, all the things that a human can do to improve his health, not just by taking medications, but by attending to his or her body. It's it's priceless. Uh, that's more of that needs to happen in our community. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Well, I um, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And I hope that we will get to talk about this more soon. Maybe one of these days we'll be, you know, on here again, you know, hundred episodes from now talking about new results and how this is helping or yes. yeah. I might do a study. I might do a study with my patients and I might publish it. <laughs> we'll have to chat. Be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so yeah. much. And um Good luck with um with everything and everyone please check out winning from winning um with fibromyalgia. Um, <laughs> it is a great um podcast and um start from the beginning and work your way through. They're pretty quick episodes, um, but really jam-packed full of great information. Um, and I found to be really helpful. So thank you, Kara, so much.